1: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science Podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I'll be talking with Clayton Knoll, who is the author of The Road to Inequality, How the Federal Highway Program Polarized America and Undermined Cities. The book is published by Cambridge University Press this year. And I have Clayton with me on the phone. Clayton, how are you doing today? Doing very well. Thanks, Heath. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have um, read the book and uh, been excited about the chance to talk to you about it. Um, Maybe you can share just a little bit about yourself, um, what your background is, and where you are now.
0: Well, I'm uh, an assistant professor of political science at Stanford University. My work broadly uh, lies in the area of political geography, American political development, and public policy. Uh, This book project falls at the intersection of all three of these. Uh, I finished my PhD at Harvard in 2011. Uh, I originally hail from Wisconsin, not far outside the Milwaukee metropolitan area, which is one of the nation's most polarized and provided a lot of the initial inspiration for this book project. Uh, and And I'm very happy to be here today to talk about the project.
1: Yeah, yeah, the the book um is um in some ways uh very focused, but in other ways speaks to so many of the very important political issues of the day and, and also of the past. Um let's let's maybe start our conversation in the past. And and if you might for us give us the the abbreviated history of the federal highway program just so we have a have a sense of from a sort of perspective of policy when these programs started, uh, what they sought to accomplish, and you know, maybe briefly, what's what's happened ever since.
0: Sure, I think it's very helpful, and in the book, I try to dispel uh, a lot of the rumors, a lot of the uh, mis- misconceptions about uh, federal support for infrastructure. I like to say that the federal highway program is a bit like the Medicaid program in the sense that the federal government provides matching funding to the states to actually implement a a national infrastructure program. Uh, Starting in 1916, the federal government started providing formula-based matching funds to state road and highway departments to build farm-to-market roads. Over a number of years, these programs helped to build a lot of roads throughout the countrysides, deliberately excluding uh, federal uh, financing of infrastructure in central cities. Uh, And it wasn't until the the 40s, uh, mid 40s, uh, running into the 1950s that the federal government began, uh, providing direct funding for construction of urban highways. Uh, many, uh, many folks may, uh, now believe that, uh, Dwight Eisenhower was really central to, uh, or was the sole person responsible for creation of the interstate highway system. And in, in reality, <clears throat> it had a much longer lineage starting, uh, starting in the late new deal period. Uh, and, but Eisenhower figured out how to provide uh, federal, uh, very generous federal funding to states to build their interstate highways. Uh, the creation of the Federal Highway Trust Fund in 1956 provi- it resulted in the a provision of 90% federal funding for interstate highways. Uh, but it's really states that exercise a lot of the discretion over, over how that money is used. Uh, and a lot of the book is about how uh, a lot of the unintended consequences of of providing all this money to create these highways within metropolitan areas what that does uh, to facilitate residential change throughout metropolitan areas and what that in turn in the context of that policy environment does to reinforce urban suburban inequality
1: yeah and, and let's let's talk about that i mean highways on the most basic level help people move around the country uh, but they have done so in, in a certain kind of way. You argue that the federal highways have led to, to sorting. Uh, specifically, what type of sorting uh, are you referring to? And, and what is the mechanism that we're talking about? How, how have highways contributed to, to the, uh, the sorting that you focus on in the book?
0: so uh the my book focuses primarily on the question of partisan sort partisan geographic sorting and when I say the word you know, the words partisan geographic sorting, I'm not necessarily trying to imply that Americans are uh, thinking about their partisanship as a primary factor, determining where they live and then moving according to their partisanship but i, I I'm instead referring to the broader tendency of liberals and Democrats to live in central cities, uh, and uh, conservatives and Republicans to live in outlying areas, uh, basically along this density uh, gradient. Now... That sort, that sort of sorting along urban-suburban lines uh, is correlated with lots of other things, including uh, racial sorting, including income sorting. Uh, anytime you talk about any sort of topic in political geography, all of these things are going to be correlated with each other. Uh, I argue in the book that we ought to be paying a lot more attention to partisanship, particularly because it's so central in organizing so many of the political decisions and and, uh, public policy debates uh, that we have around cities. Uh, And now, what what role did highways play in all of this? Well, in the second chapter of the book, I talk about how uh, highways... Uh, can be thought of as playing two different roles. Uh, One is that we should think about them as a catalyst for sorting, not necessarily as the sole cause of sorting. So when I say catalyst, this is a, you know, chemical or chemistry metaphor, uh, you know, referring to uh, a substance that, uh, you know, enables two things, two other substances to connect and react. And, And in this case, highways are facilitating sorting that people might have wanted to do uh, but wouldn't have been able to do prior to construction of interstates. Uh, You know, at the time that Eisenhower pushed through 90 percent financing for the uh, federal highway uh, for the interstate highway program. uh, people were already suburbanizing. They were moving into commun- uh, neighborhoods right outside of central cities, uh, often these inner, what we, nowadays we would call inner ring suburbs, but highways and it vastly expanded the scale at which that sort of migration and sorting could occur. Somebody who previously would have had to live only five or 10 miles from a central city could now live 20 or 25 miles from the central city. And as I show, um, in, the, in this chapter, if you look at the, the increases in travel speeds that resulted from interstate highways and look at how much additional area in a typical metropolitan area, it was, was opened up to potential residential development. It was just a massive amount of new space that in which uh, residential development was was now possible. Uh, And of course, that's what we see in a lot of these uh, polarized metropolitan areas, in places like Atlanta, which figures prominently in the first chapter of the book, or in places like Milwaukee, which was really the the initial impetus for this project. Uh, We see the I ninety four corridor that extends out of out of downtown Milwaukee out into these suburbs, Uh, previously rural Republican counties that are now heavily populated and heavily Republican. Uh, and, are, and are really central to to Republican politics. Now, so so the highways facil- uh, catalyzed this sorting that was already starting to occur, and you know th- even even before World War II, but especially in the post war era. This cat, this this role of highways as a catalyst also facilitated you know interacted with a whole range of other policies that were in place, uh, including local real estate uh, discrimination, local exclusionary zoning policies that made it difficult for uh, poorer people to move into uh, multi unit housing in the suburbs, which often was prohibited in effect by local zoning laws, and, and honestly continues to be prohibited in practice in a lot of suburbs. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, highways do serve primarily or almost exclusively people who have single occupancy vehicles. Yes, some transit systems use interstate highways uh, to um, facilitate um, you know, routes that extend out into the suburbs. Um, but uh, b- by and large, highways are serving drivers uh, of single occupancy vehicles who are commuting back and forth between the central city or between the suburbs. And those folks are, are less likely to be uh, poor minority and uh, Democratic. Uh, and so th- whose, whose mobility is being facilitated by highways, uh, it, is, um, it is Republicans who, uh, and are c- people, or people who are likely to become Republicans who are able to live in the suburbs.
1: Now, to suggest that the, the highway system and the other factors that you've described uh, contribute to a certain kind of partisan sorting isn't necessarily to suggest that it leads to political polarization. Um, but you do argue for that in the book. So, how do highways, in addition to the sorting, also contribute to polarization? What's what's the link between these these, these related but but different kinds of political phenomena?
0: Right. So I, I think it's important in discussing polarization to discuss exactly what kinds of polarization we we care about in in you know particular contexts. Uh, when I talk about geographic polarization, what I mean is uh, or partisan geographic sorting, what I mean is this this location in space of different parties that are that are uh, in effect segregated along some clear spatial dimension in this case uh, the urban suburban dimension. And my colleague uh, you know Jonathan Roden has also written a lot of really great stuff about um, about the history of this, this urban, urban suburban rural uh gradient um now <clears throat> how does this actually play out in our politics you know i would say that you know when i was first working on this project as a you know it's when this project was a little seedling in uh, 2008 2009 when i was uh you know uh you know beginning my dissertation research <laughs> The uh, you know my 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 pri- my priors were heavily influenced among other things by uh, Bill Bishop's book The Big Sort, which argues that you know we're all moving into these separate enclaves uh, and sorting along cultural and social lines, uh, and and I and I and I thought at the time that this would also uh, contribute. It was was a factor contributing to legislative polarization and congressional polarization. I, you know, in the course of working on this project over a number of years, I've I've come to be, you know, that prior has been corrected or updated. That um, that the place where we should, you know, in in fact, and in fact, uh, I think it's helped me to understand. And and in the book, I discuss how polarization does matter, but we need to be careful about understanding where it does matter. Uh, Does does urban suburban polarization matter for? Uh, congressional polarization. Well, I think other folks have done a lot of good work showing that that's not necessarily the case. Uh, however, uh, when there are when there are important policy questions that have to be decided along, uh, uh, on a, on a, a metropolitan level, uh, when they need to be decided, when when some, some sort of collective action problem needs to be solved uh, with uh, you know, among cities and suburbs and rural areas. When there is a clear geographic partitioning of interests and ideological perspectives uh, uh, between cities and their suburbs, this makes it a lot more difficult to solve those collective action problems. And, and in the last couple of chapters of the book, I use the case of transportation policy itself, uh, which has to be implemented at the in, within these regions uh, as an example of the sort of policy that can be heavily influenced by this geographic polarization.
1: And and in what way, if if we sort of accept this notion uh, of the the kinds of sorting you're describing, the highway federal highway system being quite um, advantageous uh, for those living in suburban regions who are trying to commute into uh, maybe in, into work opportunities in cities, does that does that lead to uh, differences of opinion on transportation policy? Those that are Living in cities, largely Democrats opposing highway programs but supporting uh, transit programs, and and the the alternate uh, also the case. What how, how does this actually play out in the the differing views on the the uh, types of transportation policies that exist that aren't just limited to uh, highway spending programs?
0: Yes, so uh, so in one of the in chapter four of the book, I uh, I, I begin by. Just trying to understand, you know, among Democrats and Republicans, among uh, urban residents, suburban rural residents, what what is their perspective on these policies and how they're implemented in metropolitan areas? Now, uh, again, my prior at this, you know when I was starting this project was that this was going to be a fairly clear cut. Policy feedback story. When I say policy feedback, you know, I was thinking this is going to be something that might be akin to uh, Andrea Campbell's work on Social Security, uh, or you know, Paul Pearson or Jacob Hacker's work on the on the welfare state. That this is, uh, you know, that you know when you and, and, and this I, I think in effect is sort of the the folk theory that runs throughout a lot of research on cities and and uh, suburbs and a lot of the new suburban history. It's this idea that. Sub- suburbanites move out to the suburbs and they have some set of interests, uh, and that, that, that these interests then translate into their support for, uh, the parties that support their, those policies, uh, and, um, and that they, you know, that, that, that their, their, their attitudes on these questions are driven primarily by their interests as suburbanites. Uh, what I find instead is that there is, that things are a little bit less clear than that, that in fact, um, that, in fact, partisanship, uh, and and particularly over the last 30 or 40 years, Democrats and Republicans have become more polarized along this urban, suburban, rural continuum. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, once you account for partisanship, there's very little additional, there appears to be very little additional role for um, uh, you know, place-based interests as, and which we might measure by population density, or even, uh, you know, in one of my surveys, I asked, you know, do you drive on an interstate highway or an expressway to get to work every morning? And, and how does that actually affect people's attitudes? Now it's very hard to do co- good causal inference around these questions. And I try to be very careful in how I describe these results. Um, but, but one thing that I find is that, uh, First of all, uh, there's actually amazingly broad support for interstate highways and for highways uh, across the political spectrum. When you just present people, uh, you know, a question about whether, whether they support more more spending for highways uh, uh, where we see. Uh, and this, and, uh, so there isn't this clear urban suburban rural divide. Uh, you see a much more clear uh, partisan divide that that's developed over the last thirty or forty years uh, around uh, around support for alternatives to to highway spending, and the clearest uh, competitor for high uh, uh, you know for budget uh, for for the transportation budget is investment in mass transit. That's one that we also have the best historical survey data uh, regarding. Um, so if you, uh, so in in the for this chapter, I went into the Roper archives. I went back like. 50, I guess 60 years, all the way back to the, to the fifties, looking at questions that have been asked about how much people support highway spending, how much they support transit spending. Those questions start appearing around the time of the Arab oil embargo in 1973. Um, and and, uh, and and we see that, you know, there is this there remains this consensus around highways that, that there is a growing difference over anything uh, spending on things other than highways. Um, and that's a that's a partisan divide uh, with, with very little additional uh, explanatory power that you can attribute to to the um, other measures of self-interest um, now. Uh, it, 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 this, you know, the, the historical data are fine, but they're they're very limited in, in what they can tell us. So I ran an additional survey, asking, uh, get, actually trying to force people to make more choices about what kinds of transportation policies they'd support. Uh, so I, I tried to imagine every sort of plausible type of transportation policy that might be actively considered uh, within metropolitan areas by Congress, uh, ranging from things like should we repair suburban roads? Should we um, provide better bus service to low-income housing projects? Uh, and I put all these together in, a, in what's known as a conjoint uh, analysis, uh, which just involved presenting people with two p- with pairs of policies, randomly generated pairs of policies, uh, like do you favor uh, fixing suburban roads or, or uh, providing more bus service to low-income housing projects? And then just asking them which should be a higher priority. So when you force people somewhat artificially, I admit into these sorts of choices, uh, we do see a much, much clearer manifestation of, of, um, of of, uh, partisan difference, there's a little bit of of additional evidence that people are voting according to or supporting these policies in line with their self-interest as urban residents or suburbanites. Uh, But there's a very, very clear partition that, that basically the more that transportation policies involve redistribution, involve providing help to the poor, Providing mobility to the urban poor, especially, um, we see uh, Democrats and Republicans dividing much more hugely on those lines, uh, with some additional explanatory power that can be that uh, associated with their income and with their their place of residence. Um, and, and so that, you know, so this, this, these attitudes are, um, uh, you know, I argue that these attitudes are, are, are something that are, that, that seem to be manifesting in be- people's partisanship and partisan identity, uh, that, uh, very much in line with all these, with other instances of people adopting the correct partisan position and ideologically sorting uh, to, to support particular types of policies. Now,
1: this would all be um, maybe concerning, but not not worrisome if if Congress had a way to um, to take in these views and to, to equitably uh, mm-hmm. spend both on federal highway programs okay. uh, and also on uh, transit programs that are usually based in cities. Mm-hmm. Um, but as your as the title of the book and as what you find suggests that it's, it has not been done in an equitable way, and you suggest that this has has undermined cities. Um, in conclusion, maybe you can sort of end us there with what this has to do with with equity issues and what this has to do with the future of cities, which would seem to be uh, under threat from the dynamics that you're describing in the book.
0: Yes. Uh, so you know, right after uh, you know, in the, in the period right after Baker v. Carr, which provided for one person, one vote in legislative and congressional elections, well led to the, led to the provision of one person, one vote. Uh, uh we, we see, you know, in, in the sixties and seventies, a real rise of urban democratic power in Congress, uh, to, to some degree in some state legislatures. And, 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 and at this time, uh, the Democrats, uh, and primarily liberal, liberal urban Democrats in Congress are able to, uh, obtain a, a, a share of the Federal Highway Trust Fund money to be spent on transit. Uh, and this, uh, this ever since, this has been known as the 80-20 deal or the 80-20, um, the 80-20 rule, which is that... Um, that about 20% of all the gas tax money that flows into the Federal Highway Trust Fund is ultimately uh, diverted, sent back out. Uh, highway advocates would argue diverted to transit and other transportation alternatives. Um, now, One might think with this geographic polarization that I have described that uh, that this would that the geographic polarization would play out over time in Congress, particularly as uh, as Republicans take control of Congress. You might expect that their interest as a primarily suburban and rural party that that very rarely says anything nice about cities anymore that they would that they would kill off this funding. Uh, And you know, and what I argue is that. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. Maybe this isn't really the place where we need to be looking for the threat to uh, to urban transportation programs. Yes, there's been a status quo bias that has prevented massive expansion of urban programs, and, and maybe a lot more federal money needs to go in. Uh, but I think you know Trump's repeated and apparently generally failed efforts to defund transit or to um, to upset this program have 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 come to naught, uh, in large part because 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 there is such a a norm in Congress of, 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 you know, uh, basically log rolling this money into both transit and highways. Uh, so you know, transportation highway bills generally win massive, uh, if not nearly unanimous support um, in, in from both parties in Congress because everybody's getting a little bit uh, a little piece of the action. Now, where, 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 where polarization really matters to, ec- to equity is when this money comes down to the states, when it comes down to the metropolitan areas, how is that money spent? Now, when you have metropolitan areas that aren't particularly polarized, where you have, um, Democrats living in suburban neighborhoods, uh, liberals living in suburban neighborhoods, uh, where you know, perhaps in places, uh, particularly in places like California, where a lot of su- suburbs are diversifying, uh, Even if residents of those areas are not um, don't necessarily have an interest in promoting transit, ideologically, uh, in 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 terms of their policy positions as Democrats, they are uh, supporting and and supporting financing for uh, urban investment, Uh, and we've seen this in a a number of metropolitan areas. Uh, Most recently, here in the Bay Area, we had a. uh, uh, you know, which is uh, one of the less polarized metropolitan areas in the country. Uh, we uh, suburban Democrats voted to provide a lot of funding for a number of tr- infrastructure projects, including transit projects that honestly don't benefit directly benefit a lot of the a lot of the suburban Democratic voters. In more polarized metropolitan areas, in places like uh, well, hi- at least historically in Atlanta, uh, in a lot of the Sun Belt cities, uh, in places like Detroit. Which uh, is, is one of the examples included in the book, uh, suburban Republicans, vote, when they have an opportunity to pull down this federal matching funding to use it to spend on on metropolitan transit systems, which provide mobility to poor people, particularly poor urban people, to uh, get to jobs in the suburbs, uh, to to enjoy mobility, uh, and and basically when you enjoy mobility, you, can, you enjoy you enjoy access to opportunity, uh, that um, that uh, that uh, on an Ideological basis; they are voting no on these projects uh, and v- voting no for this funding. Uh, this translates into in, when, in the metro the metropolitan institutions that have been uh, n- designated an increasing role in 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 in, in this in the transportation uh, financing system, uh, and uh, and and as a result, you know, urban people are deprived of of, of access to opportunity. Uh, now. I think I, I hope that this is a contribution to um to the political science literature in in the in the sense that uh, a lot of the work that has been done on on transportation in political science has been focused to a great deal to a great degree uh Just on the distributive aspects of transportation uh basically treating transportation as as an instance of pork barrel politics and and what i'm what i hope i've shown in this book is that that actually transportation isn't just this uh, instance of pork barrel politics or distributive politics in congress that that you know how you fund it uh, who's making the decisions about the funding and and what their ideology is around uh uh you know who deserves uh this this transportation funding and and mobility uh, uh is is an instance of a, of a it's a, it's a social policy fight um uh, that i think deserves a lot more attention in our in our research
1: yeah the the book uh, really interesting book um that clayton has written is the road to inequality how the federal highway program polarized america and undermined cities Uh, The book is published by Cambridge University Press and available widely.
0: Clayton, thank you so much for your time today. Heath, thank you for your time. Uh, It's great being here.